and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English, you know. In this second episode relating to an audiobook, Forever in Florence, we again encounter the characters of Isabella and Francesca, who lived 500 years apart in Florence, Italy. The odd-numbered chapters given in this episode, that's chapters 7, 9 and 11, relate to Isabella, who lives in present-day Florence. The even-numbered chapters in this episode, 8, 10 and 12, relate to Francesca, who lived 500 years ago at the time of Michelangelo Buonarroti. This is an audiobook. Uh, there is a transcript available via Spotify, which will enable you to follow the story as you listen to it. Or if you wish, please contact me by email and I'll send you a draft of the story so far. I hope you enjoy this particular podcast. And if you have any comments to make, please do so using the Spotify sound app or by emailing me johnscottlawton at hotmail.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed. Chapter 7 Isabella found herself enjoying things the more the lesson continued. They mingled around the room, using a structured questionnaire to find out more about each other. Each participant had to share something secret about themselves that no one else could tell at first glance. She had so many delights to choose from. Which one should it be? She settled on the time she had climbed the Himalayas getting to base camp. This was safe to share with strangers. Some of her other stories were certainly not for this group of novices. Mr Grumpy had apparently worked in New York in his younger days, and her table mate Gabriella from the jewellery shop on the Ponte Vecchio had been a model in Paris. Such exotic lives. Piero played safe and told how he had had the chance to study in London, and Angelina spoke forever about how she had once owned a fashion boutique in Berlin. It was supposed to be a rapid-fire exercise to allow everyone to chat with each other. David took part, but the German episode took so long to share that Isabella missed out on the chance of interrogating him, although she did smell him as he brushed his way past her on his way back to the podium. An elegant male scent with a hint of musky hippie to it. It suited his shape and form. She kept admiring his body whenever she thought it safe to do so as he skillfully demonstrated the use of ChatGPT for the production of practice dialogues. Maybe this class wasn't going to be such a bore after all. At least there was always something nice to feast her eyes on. At nine o'clock, the session ended, and everyone gathered their things to go home, or wherever their fancy took them. Surprisingly, the dark-haired female escort made an appearance again, as she thwarted Isabella's chance of a little one-to-one -one time with her professor. How did it go? The woman asked David, who responded with a polite, meaningless reply. Isabella had half wanted to ask him to go for a drink. She was not shy about asking men out if she fancied them, and he certainly fell into that category. He looked taken, though, whatever that means these days. But there was something about him which was charming and alluring, and it was not just his voice and smell, oh, and his chest and biceps and hair. Instead, she left with her coat over her arm and her pride intact, and headed for the elegant curved stairway down to the lower gallery. People were breaking off into twos and threes, but only Mr Grumpy looked as though he was about to approach her with something to ask. She quickly accelerated down the stone stairs to get away from him. He was definitely not her type. 
bursting into the night air, she took a deep, determined breath and closed her eyes for a moment to take in the recollection that she had had quite a momentous day. The news from the Academy Galleria was just what she had wanted, and she was so very, very grateful to whoever or whatever had allowed her to see the advert for the job in the first place. The universe does indeed work in mysterious ways, but she felt she was beginning to understand it better. Her spiritual self was more at ease than she could ever remember in this life. She was calm, relaxed, self-assured and confident. The toxic relationships and encounters in the past had only served to make her stronger and more whole. She was back to her dynamic and lively self, free from mental and emotional constraints and self-empowered to do whatever she liked without self-doubt or regret. This freedom had been hard won and hard earned, but it had all been worthwhile. The manifestations that she had practiced since submitting her application had worked. She envisioned herself in that job, carrying Michelangelo's personal effects, reading his poetry in its original form, scrutinizing his drawings and plans, and spending time with his thoughts on paper. Maybe there she would find the answers to the questions that had flowed through her mind since her childhood the secrets behind the Pieta. Chapter 8 Rushing through the busy morning streets as best she could, Francesca arrived at the Medici Palace to be greeted by guards and soldiers of the court. They knew her, of course, and beckoned her to enter without delay. The noise and chatter of the outside world quietened as she entered the dark corridors and turns which led to her office, a substantial room on the ground floor which overlooked an internal courtyard, providing her with some indirect sunlight for much of the day. She hoped for a quiet day, but she had an intense feeling of foreboding that made her feel uneasy, as if something very dramatic was about to happen. Sure enough, at that very moment, one of her least favourite senior courtiers knocked on the panel adjacent to her door. My dear Francesca Frabizia, Roberto Facetti sneered, how wonderful to see you immediately attending to your duties. He slid across the wooden floor effortlessly, like a venomous snake, the only sense of movement being the gentle rustling of his long gown over his dark yet elegant tunic and white silk hose. I see you have those papers I inquired about. Good morning, Signor Fancetti. Uh, yes, I mean, no, I I'm still working on them. I need to... No need to complete the task, he interrupted. Just give them to me now. With that, he reached out his hand and demanded the scrolls. Francesca obeyed and handed them over reluctantly and slowly. Immediately, he thrust the end of the roll of papers under her chin, which made her tilt her head backwards. I hope I don't need to warn you, dear Signora Fabrizia, that our master will not take lightly to any deceit. Do I speak clearly? The menacing tone of his rough voice emphasised the intention of his words. I don't know what you mean, she said. I hear tell that you know the whereabouts of that sad fool Michelangelo, who has so displeased the family with his treachery. You wouldn't be so stupid as to want to withhold information from me, would you? Francesca's stomach tensed as she forced herself to lie again, 
something which did not come naturally to her. I have not seen him. That statement in itself felt like a betrayal of her real master. The punishments for lying would be severe. You must know that, he continued, pushing the paper further onto her lips. These ruby-red lips must not carry on truths. He twisted the papers, forcing her lips to become deformed, moving them awkwardly into an ugly shape as he did so. Standing tall, Francesca resisted the temptation to bring her knee up into his groin to punish him, for she was too much of a lady to do that. The air in the room was not still, dust particles lifting from the soft fabrics and hard surfaces, greying the air, the temperature rising as the encounter continued. The tension between the two of them was tasteable. Tell me, I would like to know, what hold does this man have over you that you would want to put yourself and your family in jeopardy just to serve him? The manner of his interrogation intensified as Francesca felt her back reach the panelled wall behind her. Such was the force of the pressure he was now applying to her face. Switching his hand to cup her chin tightly, Francesca winced as he moved closer still, his stale breath forcing her eyes to close as he breathed hot exhale onto her. Let me tell you this. We have had people follow you, and we know where you have been. Do not think that you are safe, nor that that fellow you would want to protect is safe. We will have him before long. With that he moved back one half step, allowing her to free herself from his grip. She stared intensely at him, not allowing the fear to show in her beautiful blue eyes, still radiant and sparkling, the tears she suppressed welling up behind them but unseen. Francesca steadied herself with a nervous hand grabbing the top of her reading chair. She remained defiant. Her courage and loyalty came from the bond that she and all members of her family had with Michelangelo. She glanced over Facchetti's shoulder, across the room to the drawing of the Pietà on the circular table. His work, his majesty. She would give everything to protect his life and his legacy. She ran across the room to close and lock the door behind Facchetti as he angrily departed. She turned and threw her back against it as she gasped painfully and drew deep breaths to recover her composure. Her limbs were trembling unwillingly and uncontrollably as she raised one hand to her breast to comfort herself and to slow her breathing. How could she get to him now? How would he survive without her? How would she survive without him? She picked up the parchment with the drawing of the Pietà at its middle. The sketches around the centrepiece showed an older woman, but then, in the surrounding margins, differing depictions of the same woman becoming younger until, holding her beloved son across her knees, Francesca recognised the still beauty of her own mother as the muse for Michelangelo's Virgin Mary, the mother of Christ. Some had said that men had modelled for this role, but she believed her father when she was told that she... Anna Maria Fabrizia, wife of one of the master's closest friends, and her own mother had become the Blessed Virgin, in sculptured form. From that moment until now and beyond to eternity, it was her destiny to love, honour and respect the tormented genius and the gifts he had brought to this world. <laughs>
Chapter 9 Waking slowly from her dream state, Isabella stretched herself across the white cotton sheets of her enormous bed and lifted her arms until she could grab the thick wooden rail of the headboard above her. She pushed herself against it as leverage to lift her body off the mattress, her feet falling to the floor in one motion. She could hear them at the bedroom door. They would want to come in. I'm coming, my darlings, don't worry, to reveal two joyous puppies eager for her love and affection. Both Legato Romano dogs from the same litter, one charcoal grey, the other white with patches of black. They jumped up her outstretched leg as she tried in vain to prevent them entering her bedroom. They leapt onto the bed to smell the perfect scent of her body, revelling in its luxurious warmth and comfort. Come on down, she shouted as they played with each other in their enchanted playground. As she moved towards the staircase, they obeyed, not wanting to be more than a few paces away from her and certainly not bearing to let her out of their sight again. Isabella flicked the remote to turn on her music to start her day. There was only one choice, and his dulcet tones, at least to her ears, now echoed around the whole apartment. Turning on the kettle, she took a lemon from its resting place and sliced it meaningfully to get her first refreshment of the day. She didn't allow the water to boil, heating it just warm enough to match the temperature of her body as she dropped the slices of lemon into the tall glass and began to imbibe its contents. Feeding the dog as per her morning ritual to quieten from their morning frenzy, she used the downstairs shower to follow her Ayurvedic practice of daily cleansing which always included washing her sumptuous hair. She needed it cutting slightly, and made a mental note to arrange that with Mia later today. Isabella allowed the hot water to envelop her in heat and delight, as she pressed her palms against the elegantly tiled wall of its interior. The thick glass panel that formed its frontispiece was now steaming as Isabella soaked herself completely. As she did so, she reflected on the start of another day, in her morning meditation, she reminded herself that she must thank the universe for the gifts of yesterday. The new job, the chance to research and get to know her guiding spirit, and the sheer joy of knowing that she would be one step closer to discovering the truth about her intriguing past. Isabella kept her promise to herself, and she did indeed carry these thoughts into the first of her affirmations and meditations of the day, before ending with a reflective silence to calm her spirit for another day on planet earth or wherever she existed she felt at one with the universe again more than she had done for some time she had lost herself for a while and now she knew that she was back on the path of personal growth and self-discovery her full life's purpose was still unknown although she felt all would be revealed to her in time she did know that she was meant to be happy and her recent state of fatigue silent sadness and loneliness was only temporary Reminded, always, of one of her favourite sayings, this too will pass. Isabella knew to be grateful for everything, every small moment, and to live with intention and gratitude. Choosing what to wear was going to be a real challenge today. Mia had a surprise for her, but she had not been informed of the dress code. Was it cycling in the Tuscan hills, in which case the flashy tracksuit and sports top may be making its first appearance of the season? Were they going out to lunch? in which case there was no way she would be seen dead wearing anything less than a smart, elegant outfit that reflected her Tuscan beauty and style. 
Maybe it was a culture trip, in which case it would still need to be smart, but depending on the activities, perhaps a little more relaxed than formal wear. There was no way of knowing other than phoning Mia. Mia, darling, there's one thing you forgot to tell me about today's surprise. What the hell am I supposed to wear? Bella, wear whatever you like, but you need to be comfortable, relaxed, and able to move your arms above your head, her friend cryptically advised. Well, that doesn't narrow it down at all, does it? That could apply to almost anything. Going to the dentist, dancing, playing golf, what is it? No further advice was given, other than meeting first for coffee in front of the Palazzo Pitti at 11am. Thankful for her bank holiday, Italy's great for those, Isabella decided upon a pair of patterned leggings, a white cotton blouse, one of her favourite heavy cotton cardigans. It felt hot outside, so she decided she could manage without a coat. Mia had also said something about being on her feet for a long time, so she decided on a pair of smart white pumps to get her about for the day. If she was wrong, she would just have to go to buy herself something more suitable, wouldn't she? The day was indeed warming up to be a hot one. This May had been wetter than usual, but it was still clammy in the evenings, but without the oppressive heat of the late summer. Florence could be unbearable at that time of year, made worse by the thousands of tourists who decided to cram its streets in July and August. How she loved this city, though, and almost everything about it. The slightly yellowed stone and red-tiled rooftops, the ease with which one could amble around the city now cars were restricted to certain times of the day, the intricate alleyways with their many secrets and stories and the history which was all around. Everything about this city spoke to her soul and her inner spirit. She fed off its air and the ground beneath her feet. The energies of the waters of the Arno, the busy smiles of the people she greeted on a regular basis, the majesty and pride of its buildings meant everything to her. Even the wobbly gardens that she now skirted to get to the wing of the palace were to be restored to their former glory. All was well with her Florentine world. Just then, she received a WhatsApp message. Change of plan. Meet me in the cafe in the front courtyard in ten minutes. I'm running late. Mia, kiss. No surprises there then. Mia was always running late. Isabella admired her friend for the clarity with which she lived her life. If something didn't feel right to Mia, she didn't do it. She was deep and spiritual and openly admitted that some days she didn't go out of the house because it didn't feel right. She never defined it, but she was invariably right. Some situations, like some people, were best avoided. Mia's life path had taken her to many exotic and dangerous places as a former journalist, but now, in the middle part of her life, she was re-evaluating her priorities. Her children having gone to university in London and Paris, she now had time on her hands to make her own decisions and to pursue her own destiny, even though she wasn't immediately clear what they were at this very moment. I've got you a cappuccino, darling, Isabella offered as her friend arrived, out of breath and looking excited. Oh, thank you. Bella, how much do I owe you? Don't be stupid. Just tell me what it is that we're here meeting here for, please. Mia reached deep into her Gucci bag and with both hands ceremoniously presented Isabella with a large ticket, which read, Life drawing class, the Palatine Gallery, Palazzo Pitti, admit one. Are you serious? Isabella exclaimed. You know I can't draw. Well, now it's time you learnt. It will help you with your new job. And with that, Mia inelegantly gulped down her coffee, wiped her mouth, stood up, and marched her friend by the arm into the palace.
Reaching the gallery, they joined the back of the queue of people waiting, half in the foyer and half on the stairs. We're not late for once, Mia celebrated, congratulating herself. The doors opened and a stern-looking woman ushered them in. Ahead of them were a number of matching easels, some at standing height and others adjusted to be accessible from a seated position. A group of women rushed to the centre easels, giggling as they did so, which left Mia and Bella with the last two places available, not far from the door, but a relatively long way from the podium. Which sculptures are we supposed to draw? asked Isabella as she adjusted the thick white paper and moved the charcoals and pencils in the tray as if she knew what she was doing. Life drawing, darling, life drawing. For a moment she had forgotten what that meant, but she was about to find out. As she scanned her eyes around the room, taking in once more the astonishing frescoes and glorious paintings with which she was so familiar, she heard footsteps. A tall man with black curly hair was being led to the front of the semicircle of wooden frames and chairs which had been assembled in the room. As he passed her, he disappeared behind Mia's drawing station for a while, emerging again in the gap between there and the next easel. It was slowly dawning on Isabella what her friend had arranged for them. Life drawing. The docent welcomed everyone and thanked them for coming. The room was full of energy, vibration and female hormones. The buzz of excitement grew as an evacuation and health and safety information announcement was ignored and all ears and eyes focused only on a majestic male figure at the front of the room. Ladies, this is our special guest, David. With that, the man stepped onto a small plinth and adopted the full pose of Michelangelo's masterpiece. As he did so, the women now beneath him received the silk gown he had released from his strong frame to reveal his naked body. No wonder the group ahead of them had rushed to the front of the room. They had a bird's eye view of his splendid manhood. His muscles gleamed in the spotlights trained upon him. His perfect posture, slightly pushed forward over one knee, revealed everything and left nothing to the imagination. It was then that Isabella had her epiphany. Oh my God, she exclaimed, her head bowed down onto her chest. Mia, Mia, that's my bloody English teacher. Chapter 10 Not surprisingly, Francesca found it hard to concentrate on her work. Thoughts of her beloved Michelangelo entombed in his passageways and secret rooms beneath the basilica and worries about what might happen to him if he were to be discovered filled her mind. The sickness she felt in the pit of her stomach, thanks to the interrogation by that beast Facchetti, twisted itself through her inner being still. What a foul man! Her concerns turned to her master's works, and what would happen to his poems, drawings and artefacts if they were to be confiscated by the Medici family as part punishment for his support for the failed republic. Somehow, she had to get access to Michelangelo's studio, if not to secure it, then at least to save some of the more portable items from destruction. It was impossible to know who to trust in the city now. Everyone was trying to save their own skin. Even some of her closest friends had begun to be cold towards her, a sign that they feared reprisals from the family if they offered her support or comfort. The court was a toxic place at times, and she would have to think of people outside its environs who might be able and willing to offer her help. 
Her close friend, Marie Elena, was someone she felt she could trust and who had no family which could be bribed or threatened by the Medici's spies or confidants. But how could she remove some of the documents from her office without arousing suspicion? She wanted to protect the drawings of the Pietà, the poems her soulmate had crafted, and the sketches he had begun to draw for new commissions and architectural projects. These would be copied by others if not secured, passed off as their own, and certainly stolen or destroyed if Michelangelo had to flee the city for Rome. Francesca decided she would leave early, feigning illness, and seek out her trusted friend. Maria Elena Bonetti was employed as an advisor to another influential family in the city, who were also merchants. She had been trained in Latin and Greek, and she was also very, very astute in financial affairs. Francesca was sure that she could tell Maria Elena things in confidence, not least because she had no affinity nor love for the Medici family. She could not be bribed. No amount of money would force her to betray her friendships. Such loyalty was an extremely rare commodity in the city these days. At lunchtime, Francesca engaged in the necessary social pleasantries with people who she liked and who mattered, and then she declared that she felt very sick and would have to go home. Two close colleagues offered to escort her, but Francesca was able to dissuade them by insisting that she was fit to go by herself, but that she must leave immediately for fear of being physically sick in their presence. The subterfuge worked. Rushing through the bustling Florence streets in her fine clothes, Francesca kicked up the filthy dust as she ran, a light wind making small worlds of the stuff in street corners too. The smells of the city felt more intense to her than ever before, she was existing in a higher state of consciousness. She felt, breathed, tasted and experienced everything around her. Still suspicious that she might have been followed, she kept stopping to smell the fruits on the stalls leading to the Ponte Vecchio, before arriving at the stench that was the bridge itself. Here, the meat markets were still doing business, even though it was now just after the middle of the day. Flies circled and laboured over the smelly entrails, the meat either red with blood or beginning to sweat mercilessly in the afternoon heat. She could differentiate between the smell of cow from pig, from semi-rotting lamb to once tender deer. She didn't stop here, but carried on through the barking aggressive dogs and scurrying cats to turn into the alleyways leading to her home. Stopping one final time at the corner of a small alleyway, she was satisfied that she had not been followed and began to unlock the large wooden gate to her property. She spied a small boy across the pathway behind her home and beckoned to him to come to her. In a few minutes, I will have a note for you which I wish you to deliver to my friend. Will you do that for me if I let you play with my dogs and give you some coins? The boy gladly agreed and ran the errand for her as instructed back across the Ponte Vecchio to Maria Elena's place of work. The note merely asked her to come to see Francesca after work as she was feeling unwell. She thought it best to continue the lie in case the note was discovered by the wrong hands and eyes. By late afternoon there was a hesitant knock on Francesca's gate and a gentle ring on the bell, which was used to attract the occupant's attention. Francesca welcomed Maria Elena into the courtyard, but said nothing more until the pair was safely in the confines of her house her two obedient dogs guarding the doorway in silent duty. Maria Elena, my friend, you must help me, please, she pleaded with her friend. Whatever is the matter, my dearest, are you unwell? 
asked Maria Elena. No, no, that was just a little lie to get you here. I'm sorry about that, Maria Elena. It is Michelangelo Buonarroti. You know he is in hiding from the Medicis, and he fears for his life and his precious works. I must save both, but I'm being watched night and day. Can you help me, please? begged Francesca. Well, of course, yes, but exactly how? What do you want me to do? replied her friend. First, he must be taken provisions. He's been there over a month now, and I worry about his health. Please take him some bread and water. He's refusing everything else, as if he's punishing himself for, I don't know what. He sees his solitude as a form of penance, I think. I'll do that, but where will I find him? I'll tell you, but I will not write it down. Then there is his studio. I must go there, but I need to think of a suitable reason for being there implored Francesca. I can't think of one which will not arouse the Medici's suspicions. Well, let me think. I know that the Rossettis had asked Michelangelo to work on a large sculpture for their country estate in the Tuscan hills. It was an old commission and they kept changing their minds about what they wanted. Signor Bonarotti became frustrated with them, I understand. You know what he can be like. Anyway, I could pretend that I had been tasked with finding out what work had been done on the sculpture, but that I would need someone to guide me around his studio, meaning you had to attend to supervise my actions. Do you think that would work? Yes, yes, that sounds plausible. We can at least try it. My dear Maria Elena, can you please write to the Medici court in forceful terms tonight and demand that you be given immediate access to his premises? I shall, I shall. I will do it. When I get home, and if you tell me how to access his hiding place, I'll take some bread and water to him later this evening, Maria Elena said, reassuringly. Francesca said goodbye to her friend, and returned to her dining room to slump against the large, dark wooden table at its centre. She was eternally grateful for having such good friends, people who would help her in times of need, without wanting her soul or body in return. Her two dogs gathered around her legs and lay at her feet again reassuring her that all would be well with the world if she could just hold on to her faith and belief. Chapter 11 Shh, shush, I'm concentrating, Mia whispered loudly. Mia, did you hear what I said? I know him. That's my bloody English teacher. I only met him for the first time last night. Isabella's voice was shaking and full of panic as she tried to use her friend to hide behind to make sure David couldn't see her. Well, I find that rather strange because I met him on the massage table. How do you think we got these tickets? They're like gold dust. Mia's own voice was full of self-admiration for having acquired the hottest commodity in town. What do you mean? How? When? You haven't told me about this. Isabella thought they shared everything. Get your eyes off him. He's mine, or he will be. Isn't he adorable? And his hands, Jesus, Mia pined. He works in that new health spa that's opened up. I went there while you were in Rome last weekend. Isn't he delicious? Mia could not hide her excitement and interest in him. What do you mean, massage? What kind? asked Isabella, getting annoyed with her friend's self-congratulatory attitude. You name it, darling, I'm sure he can do it. His hands are literally like an electric wand, breathed Mia. I don't understand. Why is he teaching me English if he's a masseur? queried Pella. 
Well, he's obviously a man of many talents. And now this. How many jobs does a man need? Challenged Isabella, getting frustrated with even David now. Shh, she's coming. The docent, who is now doubling up as a drawing teacher, came to stand behind them, as if to encourage them to be quiet. She looked quizzically first at Mia's drawing, and then Isabella's initial attempts. Don't be afraid of the charcoal girls. Let it express itself. Focus on his overall shape and form. The details can come later. Observe how the body can be compartmentalised into sixths, taking the head as one-sixth. Draw guidelines across your paper like this, and you'll see what I mean. It will help you to get your proportions right. The instruction at first went over Isabella's head, but then it began to make sense as, with the tutor's hand for guidance, she drew an enlarged circle for his head and hair, and then followed down over his enormous shoulders and proud chest, over his stomach, down towards his groin, and then through there to those immensely strong legs. His knees were currently represented as two small circles leading along straight lines towards his overly large feet, which were currently just oval blobs. That's very good, very good, remarked the tutor. That's just right. Carry on like that. Mia was having a little more trouble getting past the central parts of David's body. You can pay attention to those details later, my dear. Just concentrate on filling your paper with his overall shape, advised the woman, who was clearly less impressed with Mia's efforts. The room now was nearly silent, the noisy pair having been quietened by the tutor's presence. Participants were busy holding their pencils or charcoals in a horizontal or vertical plane to get the angles right for his arms, torso or legs. One woman audibly let out a near-orgasmic sigh as she swooned over his chest, immediately bringing her hand over her mouth to try to gag herself, but it was too late. They all heard it, and at least four women laughed at her in unison. The morning sun was growing, and the orange glow was discernible through the coloured glass of the skylights. The spotlights, trained on Michelangelo's life model, were sufficient for them all to play with the shadows on his skin, the curls and twists of his hair, and the rippling muscles of his arms and legs. One woman was busy noisily, almost scratching the charcoal into rather than onto the paper. Her lines were bold and thick, and they effectively conveyed the strength in David's legs, his immense thighs and his superior calves. His narrow hips were framed in the centre of the paper, and she was now paying close attention to the manly curves of his chest, again with thick, heavy lines to reveal his musculature. Other women were more delicate in their work, and some had clearly more experience than others. One was given the advice to try drawing with her less dominant hand, perhaps because the work produced to date bore no relation to the majesty in front of her. She couldn't have done any worse with her other hand, it seems. Perhaps she was just here to admire the view. Mia's drawing was improving, but then she was distracted by her mate again. Anyway, I take it you enjoyed your hands-on experience. Isabella had designs on this David, and she was mildly annoyed that her friend had possibly secured pole position. You can say that again. He used this juniper oil, and it was gorgeous. I could feel every press of his fingers and every move of his hand. He played me like a musical instrument, Mia purred. Too much information, if you don't mind, Mia. Thanks for oversharing. These two were going to fall out again, if they weren't careful. Isabella continued to try to avoid David's gaze, but he was looking straight at her. He must have recognised her, she felt. Her embarrassment was turning to panic, 
What if he thought she was stalking him, following him from place to place? The only good thing was that there had been no sign of the dark-haired woman. Anyway, I bet you've missed your chance. Every time I've seen him, he's been with the short, dark-haired woman. She clings onto him like a clam. I bet she's here somewhere tonight, challenged Isabella. I don't think so, darling. That's his sister. And there's a reason she's always with him, Mia replied. That's interesting, thought Isabella. But why would he be out and about with his sister all the time? There was something mysterious about this guy. It wasn't just his superior looks. He had an aura about him, a presence that Isabella enjoyed, even though she had barely had chance to get up close and personal with him last night. The docent clapped her hands to bring the session to a close. At this moment, she asked everyone to thank David for his posture, calm and composure, and then she thanked the participants for their attendance. You may take your drawings, but please leave the charcoals on your easels, ladies. Thank you very much indeed, and buona notte, she ended. While Isabella busied herself trying to roll up her masterpiece, she missed David being escorted from the room, which was just as well because she feared he might have finally recognised her. Mia stood back to admire her work, and she was reasonably pleased with her final efforts. She was a different kind of artist, a crafter of words, not drawings, to provide her images and to tell her stories. Well, what an experience, sighed Isabella. I need a stiff drink after that. Shall we see if David wants to come? busied Mia. No, no, then he'll know I've been here, if he hasn't seen me already, said Isabella. Um, I very much doubt that, darling. Don't you know? You don't, do you? Chapter 12 Mary Elena crept silently into the side door of the basilica, as instructed by her friend, and sang the song which served as a password for entry to Michelangelo's hiding place. The master hurried to the entrance, expecting to greet his beloved Francesca Fabrizia, but his disappointment was visible when faced with her friend. Who are you? He questioned in his normal abrasive manner used with strangers. Francesca Fabrizia has sent me to serve you as she is not able to leave her property unnoticed, Signor Bonerotti. Please let me help you, as Francesca would. Come, come, if my dearest Francesca has sent you, then I must trust you too, he promised. The two slid down the dank floor to the large room immediately beneath the basilica, under the altar where the Medicis still prayed, not knowing that their prey was hiding under that very space. I have bread and water for you, but will you please have some meat to maintain your health, pleaded Maria Elena. No, no, I do not need the luxury of meat in my prison cell, Michelangelo answered. Maria Elena's eyes were now adjusting themselves to the yellowed light in this damp space, and she could make out some of the charcoal drawings on the walls. Some were frenzied and incomplete, but one caught her eye, as it was immediately recognisable as Francesca. Michelangelo had drawn her with such care and precision. The shape of her face was exactly as it should be, and Maria Elena could make out her long, regal neck that extended down onto her shoulders and into her upper frame. The collarbones that Michelangelo had toiled to get right were bold and strong, carrying as their duty her friend's beautifully curvaceous breasts. These circular orbs were not like the ones she had seen in other sculptured work by Michelangelo, where she had always thought that they had too masculine a form. 
These were naturally formed, definitely female breasts, which were both serene and sensual. What of Francesca? How is she? asked Michelangelo. She is worried about you. She wishes you would escape the city, and perhaps hide in the countryside for a while, until things here quieten down. Will you please consider this? questioned Maria Elena. I do not know. What are the Medicis? What do you know of the family's intentions regarding my fate? That I do not have knowledge of, Signor. It is early days. They have not been in control of the city for very long. They are still forming their plans, as I believe. I can make inquiries through my contacts if you wish, offered Maria Elena. Please, please do that. I have much work to do. So many commissions are unfinished. I think they aim to destroy me and my reputation. Signor Buonarotti, I represent a family who have one such commission, and we will use that fact to gain access to your studio. What must we rescue from there to keep it safe? Michelangelo sat down on a dark wooden bench to ponder his fate, but also to be organised enough to offer her a practical answer. Let me think, let me think. In the corner of the studio, against the interior wall, is a tall wooden chest. In the cupboards at the bottom, you will find some drawings which must not be lost. They are of the Pietà, the one that now sits in Rome. This proves that this was my work. The Pietà is the only work where I have left my name, but still people doubt me. It proves its provenance. He continued. There are some architectural drawings. Your commission, I believe, if it is the one I'm thinking of, lies in written form inside the glass cupboard to the right of the shelves. You'll see I've written some rather unkind comments there. I would be grateful if you could give these to Francesca for safekeeping. And my carvings, they cannot be moved easily, but please try to ensure that the stones are not broken up or destroyed. If I want to do that, I will do it myself when the time comes. In the centre of the room, you will find your employer's work. It is, as you know, unfinished. I believe it was to be a statue in the classical style to be erected in their gardens. I hope to be able to finish it soon. Michelangelo looked sad as the realisation dawned on him that he really might not be able to finish all the work he had been tasked with doing. The longer time went by, the more he felt that he would really be deliberately killed or meet an untimely fate in some disguise to make it look like an accident, poisoning perhaps or at the very least be banished from the city forever. The thought of never seeing his beloved Francesca again proved too much for him, and he dropped into a kneeling position, weeping loudly as he did so. I was afraid that she might not come. I prepared this note for her. Please, please deliver this message to my dearest Francesca. In case I am discovered and not able to see her again, please make sure you give it to her directly, sobbed Michelangelo. Please go now and give her my love. Maria Elena took the crumpled piece of paper from his trembling fingers and pressed it into her chest pocket. Gathering her heavy coat against her neck, she left the confines of the basilica and headed quickly for Francesca's home under cover of the dark, moonless sky. Francesca greeted her friend enthusiastically in the, her courtyard, hugging her tightly in a warm embrace before stepping into the parlour, followed closely by Rosa and Luna. He sent this for you. He said it was very important. I don't know if it is more information about work he wishes to protect, said Maria Elena. I must go straight away. I don't want to arouse suspicion at home. It's getting very late for me to be out in the city. I'm not used to it. With that, Maria Elena kissed her friend goodbye and scurried through the courtyard. 
Francesca locked the gate behind her and rushed back into the house. She pulled out a stool from under the kitchen table to be within range of the dim light of the oil lamp which hung above it. Nervously, Francesca unfolded the paper to read in grey pencil. My beloved Francesca, words cannot express how I feel when I am not able to see you to take in your beauty, daily, hourly, by the minute and by the very second, and to feed from the soul of your being. I long to be with you again in safety, to talk of the things we talk about, and to listen to you tell me of your thoughts from the day, your simple tasks, and your grand achievements. I want to hear you tell me of your dreams, your passions, your ideas, your fears, to confide in me as your lifelong friend, telling me of those things which bring you joy. I want to take pleasure in your happiness and to comfort you when you are sad or fearful. This I cannot do from this dark chamber. Oh, Francesca, please, I implore you, come to me when you can. Share with me those moments of reflection and contemplation as we meditate on the beauty of the world and how to show it. Be forever and as always my wonderful inspiration, my muse, your eternal friend and spirit, always in the service of your beautiful soul, Michelangelo Buonarotti.